This episode of the Black Arts Legacies podcast is sponsored by Meta. I'm going to start the story of Black Arts West at the end. Not with Douglas Q. Barnett opening the doors to Seattle's first Black theater on April 1st, 1969, but with T. Denard and Doug Johnson closing the nationally recognized theater in 1980. I caught the end of the story from Khabibi Monet and T. Denard, who were both part of Black Arts West back then. Khabibi runs New Black Arts West, a modern revival of the original Black Arts West that she started in 1992. She's been heavily involved in the Seattle art scene in music, storytelling, and theater since she was a teenager. T. was the artistic director of the original Black Arts West in its final years, and is a professional actor. Definitely Google him. One of his credits is a role in An Officer and a Gentleman back in 1982. I was talking to Khabibi about how New Black Arts West worked out of Washington Hall from 1998 to 2001 in her apartment when T came over to visit. You should interview him too. He definitely knows much more of the history of Black Arts West than the original. Because I, I, I got there late before we went under. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So I was there for a couple of years before they were no longer having anything. T quickly jumped into the conversation, particularly when Khabibi started reminiscing about the Central District, both when it once thrived in the 60s and as it began to change in the decades following. It was beautiful. It was a beautiful time, you know. We're trying to say something, Seattle was so vibrant and, and, and the civil rights movement had, 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 had brought so much awareness mm-hmm. to black people being black. Mm-hmm. And, and, and black folks was having things and doing things that they hadn't done before. Mm-hmm. So things was coming to them and they felt like, oh, wow, I can move up to this bracket. But they, they forgot to hold on to what they had because that's when gentrification really started. Mm-hmm. While, while we were enjoying and embracing our newfound freedom, mm-hmm. the blueprint, like she said, was was racing us and eradicating us out mm-hmm. and throwing that money around. And uh, some of us got greedy and said, oh, wow, man, I bought this house for $15,000. They're going to give me $60,000. I'm gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure did, didn't it? Then, in the midst of lamenting the death of a vibrant Black community, T brought up Black Arts West. The plan was in place back there, and, you know, we didn't know it. Um, one example is the original Black Arts West, a theater that had been, Black theater had been in existence for 10 years, one of the only theaters in the country to ever do that. We educated the, uh, the Black people in, 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 in Seattle about Black people. <laughs> Once they learned about Black people, then they didn't want to see no more Black plays. I know about Black folks, so let's see some white plays now. Mm-hmm. Sure did and did not support, the NEA came out from D.C. and said, listen, we will refund you if you can show us some members of the community that support you. The National Endowment for the Arts, or the NEA, wanted either evidence of community support or a matching fund of $200,000 from Black Arts West to agree to keep funding them. We called three town town hall meetings. No support. So then they said, well, we'll give you this, we'll give you your matching fund if you can come up with the rest of it. Knowing that that was impossible for us to come up with that, that type of money back then, $200,000 in that, in that time frame, back, back in those days, it was virtually impossible because 
there was no support. That's right. And we went all through, even the churches yes. weren't giving us no financial. Yeah. We couldn't get support from anywhere. And with him being the artistic director at the time, I mean, he, we can tell you how many times we tried to, we, we got to save this, you guys. We could find a way. But in the end, Black Arts West could not find a way to rally the support and money to maintain their NEA funding or to operate without them and had to close in 1980, after, as T said, about 10 years of existence. And to Khabib and T, the end of Black Arts West just seemed to be another stage of Central District displacement. Everything, you know, we were self-sustaining. But this episode is not all gloom and lament. I wanted to face that early so that we could spend most of the episode remembering all that Black Arts West was and the legacy it leaves today. Because it's a strong legacy. I never asked Khabib and T about Black Arts West. I went in hoping to learn more about Washington Hall and New Black Arts West until they brought it up. I always wanted this show to be artist-driven, and this one especially came from several who were eager to remind me that any conversation about Black Arts spaces in Seattle is incomplete without Black Arts West. So you knew in Seattle, right? That's Edna DeGray, the dance teacher and icon. After talking with her about her connection with Langston Hughes, as you heard back in episode one, it was important to her that I know about Black Arts West. Edna first brought Black Arts West to my attention as a major milestone, both in her life and for Black Arts in Seattle. Now, when we talk about Black Arts legacy, you want to go back to something like when I first came to Seattle in the 70s, the first encounter that I had in Seattle, at that time, they had, it was called Central Area Motivation Program. They had some programs under there, and the main one that I can remember was Black Arts West. This is Brooklyn, and you're officially four episodes into the Black Arts Legacies podcast, a show from Crosscut exploring the history and ongoing impact of Black art and artists in Seattle. This season has been all about the spaces, homes, and halls Black Seattle has built to foster generations of community and creativity. Essentially, the soil that nurtures the seeds of legacy past and the flowers of legacy present and future. This episode is about a space that's been out of the Black Arts scene for over 40 years, Black Arts West. What struck me about Black Arts West is that even though it no longer exists, so many people remember it fondly and were eager to discuss it. Black Arts West's legacy lives on through them and what they've built since. Stick around to find out more. Black Arts West officially opened its doors on April 1st, 1969. Before that, it was the New Group Theater, a traveling troupe established in 1965. The group worked out of the Central Area Motivation Programs building for a year before they could rent their own space in early 1969. That was in Madrona at 3406 East Union Street, the former home of the Cirque Playhouse. Actor, director, and writer Douglas Barnett was really at the forefront of it all. He's no longer around to talk about it, which is why I talked to T and to artist Al Doggett. I think the key was how Black Arts West really impacted the community. And for me, I felt so good. The first few plays, I remember them not getting a lot of audiences. It was, you know, small. And then it grew a little bit and more. And we were always excited when we said, what's the house like? You know, how many people, you know, it was good to see more and more. Al is a visual artist who has done both commercial and fine arts out of his Seattle studio since 1967. If you're wondering what a visual artist was doing on stage at a theater, it's not a new question for him. For me, someone said, well, you know, you're an artist. Why theater? Why acting? 
for me, it was still uh, under the heading of creative work, being an artist. It was using myself in the role. I, I do a lot of paintings and drawings of people in different situations. So for me, it was still creating within myself. I was not somebody who was really extroverted and really out there wanting to uh, expose myself, whoever I was in that sense, but it was fun to hide behind characters. So it was easy for me to get up on stage and, and perform as a particular character. And that, that was exciting. That was exciting to find and fun to do, especially when you have so many different types of personalities. When I do my artwork, I explore. I love people. I love creating uh, images, telling stories from, from various people as well. And so I had that sense of wanting to see how I could create a character that is totally different from myself. But let's take a quick step back. As Al said, acting was a fun extension of his passion for art, so he had been acting around Seattle in the years before Black Arts West opened. Then, interest met proximity. When I lived in the Madrona part of Seattle, Black Arts West was in Madrona, and I began to get familiar with what they were doing. So I, I went in and I decided I got to meet Doug Barnett and get a chance to see what they're about. And I wanted to get involved. So I joined uh, the theater at that time. Al told me he had two leading roles and many more smaller roles in other shows. Uh, Doug Barnett, great guy, very creative uh, producer, director, and writer himself. And he tells me, he said, you know, he'd like to have me uh, see if I can audition for a play they were going to be producing called Wine in the Wilderness. The play, the lead character was an artist, and they felt, oh, Al, this ties right in. And Al wasn't just an actor with Black Arts West. As a visual artist, the theater also asked him to bring those skills. Good, because uh, there was no one else doing that. They didn't have someone on staff or that had that background. And so that allowed me to actually be the creative director as well to make the decisions on, on how to promote, how to who, uh, present the plays, that type of thing was, was a big part of it for me. It was great because, you know, they kind of put it in my hands to create how they would be promoted, basically, and the visual part of it as well. One of Al's posters was for the play Black Girl, which was T's first play at Black Arts West. The same T from earlier. He was the organization's final artistic director, and he first came to the theater on a dare, and to get a girl. The story starts at her house. So when I got there, there was another gentleman there who was going to audition with her. And uh, she was in there getting dressed, and we were in the living room, and he asked me, um, he said, well, what do you do? At the time, I worked for the welfare department. I was a case manager the welfare department. So I told him, yeah, I'm a case manager for DSHS. What do you do? And he said, well, I'm an actor. And I said, well, anybody can act. So he said, well, anybody can act. Then there's an audition at Black Arts West at seven o'clock. If you think you're going to act, come down and audition. And I said, no problem. I didn't know what an audition was, never had been, been in a live theater in my life. All was on my mind was that young lady that was getting dressed and I was gonna see her there. So I went and the name of the play that they were casting for was Black Girl. And I didn't know the significance of Black Girl until I walked into the theater. 
and I saw wall-to-wall black girls auditioning for the show. And I knew right then and there that that was the place for me. I got cast as an understudy in that play, and other homeboy who became one of my best friends, rest in peace, Charles Canada, was the gentleman that that actually dared me to go to the theater. Uh, and we ended up being close friends. We ended up working together at Black Arts West. And uh, but after the play, after the, after that initial play, um, I got bit. T loved that Black Arts West felt like family and started to do more plays until he got cast as the lead in A Raisin in the Sun. From that role, he went back to school for drama and still does film and acting to this day. And how did I know that Al Doggett made the poster for Black Girl? He showed it to me and a few others during our interview. And he even got to showcase other artwork at Black Arts West. Remember the Model Cities program? That time the federal government invested money in Black communities, including here in Seattle? Well. Through Model Cities, Black Arts West got a grant to hire a curator and run an art gallery. Yeah, I also was able to show a lot of my artwork. You know, they had art shows as well. They, that community artist was able to present their artwork and they have a, a small lobby. It was a small theater, but they did open it up for having uh, artists in the community to show their work as well. Beyond giving him the opportunity to do commercial art, fine art, and acting, I'll also appreciated the community impact of Black Arts West. And uh, it, it was just good to see from Black Arts West, the standpoint of them coming into the community, it was really great because it exposed theater to a community that was not that familiar with theater, not going to the theater a lot. And the local personnel, family around the, around the corner, when they were able to come together, come to see some of the plays, a lot of the plays that they performed were done by playwright, Black playwrights from different parts of the country as well, very noted playwrights. Some of the plays were very new to a lot of the community, have not heard of these plays and not even plays in general, especially with one play called Five on the Black Iron Side, that became a movie. Your spirit's going to be rejuvenated, your mind's elevated, and your soul celebrated. Good vibes are going to thrive when you see five on the black hand side. When that play was produced, that really opened the community up because they could come and see something they can identify with. They could you know, be part of, and that just opened the whole theater-going experience for the community. Uh, kids, adults from the community auditioned for plays, and that kind of opened that up as well. And several of those particular actors and actresses, some of them went on to starring movies and, and, and Broadway shows. And, and so it was really a good starting point for uh, young people aspiring to be in theater. I know that like education, you, you talked about education as kind of a big tenant of Black Arts West. And from what I've read, they used to do kind of like workshops to teach acting. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They had, yeah, that, that was part of it too. They had, that happened. I wasn't involved in that end of it, but I know that they did reach out to the community and they had workshops on weekends, Saturdays that uh, they would have some of the directors, people who were directing, work with some of the kids, some of the community uh, people as well who was interested in theater. They always had some sort of program 
that relates to youth in the community. And uh, that was really good. And they would actually perform at play after going through a specific program. And it wasn't just introducing people to plays. These were Black plays. Here's T again. There were a lot of players out there that were educating us about who we were black, as Black people. And I'm Black and I'm proud. And so th- those kind of things kind of melted into my fabric. And here's the part that's going to knock your socks off. We weren't getting paid. And if we got paid, it was, it was $25. But we loved it. And we did it. I mean, I ended up leaving my job. I was, you know, working for the state. But it was interfering with what was happening in the Black House West. So it had to go. So I made it through other little odds and ends that I did on top of theater, you know. So it was a coming out party, I think. Because the Black Panthers were right down, right down the street. And Black House West was on the other corner. And we were pumping out these, these plays. And I'm talking about good plays, good plays with good actors and good directors. T credited a lot of people with making Black Arts West what it was. The late Doug Barnett for starting it. The late Buddy Butler for bringing in Broadway talent. And having talented people working at Black Arts West really helped actors like T hone their craft when there weren't many other places to go. Part of Black Arts West's legacy was introducing theater to a Black neighborhood. Another was allowing people to seriously consider pursuing art. It took work to convince parents, especially, that art could be a career. Al ran into that teaching kids from his studio. When I did classes at my studio for kids and adults at the studio, it would be um, a lot of parents were skeptical of having their kids get interested in art. It was sort of that you can't make money at that. You can't make a living at being an artist. And so uh, some of the parents wanted to really know more about it. You know, the kids were drawing all the time or painting. They just wanted to. And so they would come over with the kids. And, and I told them because they were battling. The kid wanted to take major in art in high school or whatever. And I had to really kind of open their minds so they get a sense of knowing that that is a career, that's something that, you know, a kid has an interest in art, they can build a career out of it. They just need to know the directions to go. And a lot of times, the, the commercial arts, so the, the design area in art is, is sort of hidden from a lot of Black communities, Black people in the community, especially parents, grandparents who just don't know that that is out there. Black Arts West brought professional Black theater to Seattle. In its day, Black people could see their stories on stage and be encouraged to pursue acting professionally themselves. There are many more people inspired by their connection to Black Arts West, and at least two of them even started their own arts organizations. More on that after this. Meta is proud to be the title sponsor for the Black Arts Legacies Project. Meta builds technologies that help billions of people around the world connect, find communities, and grow businesses. With apps like Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, and WhatsApp, they're able to give people the power to build community and bring the world closer together. To learn more, go to meta.com. Support for the Black Arts Legacies podcast comes from BECU 
a member-owned credit union that puts people over profit. For over 85 years, BECU has offered financial services and support to the community. Members have access to local financial centers, over 30,000 ATMs through the co-op network, and online resources. Learn more at BECU.org. Federally insured by NCUA. We have to talk about dance. Not just because Al couldn't help but bring it up during our conversation. Dance was also a major facet of Black Arts West. So let's get into how the theater influenced dance in Seattle. For that, here's Edna DeGray again. Edna came to Seattle from a nursing program in Chicago with her husband, a naval officer. Back then, she wasn't yet inspired to dance full-time because it didn't seem like a viable career. It was Black Arts West, Douglas Barnett, and Lorna Prim Richards, Black Arts West's dance director, that inspired her to take a few hundred dollars and turn it into a Waggio dance workshop and decades of teaching dance in Seattle. I started there in uh, the 70s. And uh, if there was no Black Arts West, there would never have been an Awajo dance workshop. So I sort of branched off from there in 74. When I moved from Black Arts West, I opened my own dance studio in what we call the Wallingford District. It was 45th in Wallingford. It was a little storefront. It was only 800 square feet, but... It was something that was needed because there was not a lot of space. There was not a lot of dance studios. There was a lot of nothing going here in Seattle during that time. Because if there was, I would be the first one to go over there and offer my, you know, offer some teaching or being a part of something. But after Black Arts West, I didn't see very much of anything. There might have been people teaching in the schools, but but no one had a, a dance studio that I can remember that was catering. Well, it wasn't that was catering. It's just that I was offering classes in the African-American dance form, which was more of the Catherine Dunham's, um, which my background is basically uh, West Indian, uh, Afro-Latin jazz, Afro-Cuban, Afro-Haitian. But I also had a lot of ballet and modern background. So when this studio started on 45th and Wallingford, I, I called it a washo because of the Nigerian word. Awajo means common dance in Yoruba, one of the three main languages spoken in Nigeria. And I wanted to bring all kinds of people together, but I wanted to base everything on the learning and the acceptance and the culture of African-Americans, you know, and African. So that's basically, and I stayed there, wow, 10 years. And I also was able to work at the University of Washington, but that was, I was basically one of the first African-American teachers on dance staff there, but I was called associate professor. I only worked there 77, 78. And, uh, but there was nothing called Afro anything on the dance level at the University of Washington. Okay, we talked about 77, 78. I kept Awajo going and it was very difficult. There was very little income. Even though what I did get, I made that work for what I had to do. <laughs> So I ended up being supported more by the community, and it became, and Awasha became very diverse. It was both community support and Edna's passion for educating young people that kept Awasha open when funds were tight. And everything being so limited, we 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 survived basically off, like they say, you're only good, you're only good as your last performance. <laughs> that's what we, that's what we had to do, Brooklyn. We we got publicity from our festivals from, and we have many, many, many children 
uh, a lot of kids came through Awasho. And today the oldest one would be 71. And so that's the years that, that I was putting all this work out there. Edna has taught hundreds of students, even as Awajo moved around four or five times. And even though there is no official Awajo dance workshop space, it still lives on in spirit and in Edna. We stayed there until 2007. And after that, Awajo closed down, you know. The space closed down, not Awajo. We still continue working out of different places, you know. Uh, and even the name after that uh, closed down too. But it's still, it's still a spirit because it wasn't my studio. It was the community studio. And that's why I survived so long. It's just, it, to me, it's just a spirit. I think Awaja was blessed and it stayed well into our community. Even now, I still think it's there. And Edna is still dancing and teaching around Seattle. So I guess it is. My last word I can say, and Douglas Barnett is not here. He transitioned, but... If it wasn't for Douglas Barnett and Lorna Richards, I wouldn't have been too inspired. I would not have been inspired to open a dance studio in Seattle with maybe $500. (laughs) Okay, So basically, that's what I had. And my passion, it was built on passion and love and commitment and dedication. And Edna didn't even mention it in our conversation, but after the National Endowment for the Arts stopped funding Black Arts West, T told me that she and Awajio served as fiscal sponsors to help him make sure everyone on the payroll got paid in the end. The inspiration Edna felt also lives in Kabibi and New Black Arts West. That's spelled uh-huh. N-U, not N-A-W, because it's a Nubian spelling. Hey, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Why did Kabibi start New Black Arts West? Because of what T... Doug Barnett, and the original Black Arts West did for her. I was like, wow, I got a place to act. I've been acting all my life, you know, but it was, you know, in front of my mirror or blah, 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 you know what I'm saying? Um, I know how important it is to my people for us to have an artistic expression, mm-hmm. period. I mean, we've got a lot to say, a lot to do. We've got a lot of talent that, that just is wasted or won't ever come out if we don't provide the places for it to come out at. That's where my heart was. That's where, you know, I had to bring it back. I had to. Out of, I know what I would have been. If it hadn't been for this man turning me on to theater on the real deal side. I mean, when I came to Black Arts West Theater he, with open arms, he said, come on in here. And he, he said, well, do you have an agent? And he got me an agent. And I got involved with the, the unions and all that. She's talking about T, who, if you'll remember, became part of the interview when he came to visit Kabibi. This brother right here taught me that, but I didn't, and I wanted to make sure that it didn't die with me or it didn't, it's not left with me. This is something we all need as a people, you know? Kabibi grew up in Seattle where Black arts thrived and were constantly encouraged, so it was important to her to leave something for the next generation. That's why she looked to Doug Barnett, back when he was still living in the 90s, for help reviving Black Arts West and finding it a home. He and I were working together because I asked him can I bring Black Arts West Theater back? He was the reason I did. He was mentoring me to bring a Black theater back to the central area, back to the community. Mm -hmm. He was mentoring me because I went to him, Doug, I know you how to do it. I don't know how to do it. Help me. And so for a year, I worked with him. You know, I would go out to his house in West Seattle, and he would give me the history about theater and who I should get in touch with. He was really teaching me the ropes, okay? After Doug trained her, Kabibi started New Black Arts West in 1992, without a permanent space. 
we were in New Black Arts Theater now. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have a home. We did our first production at Langston Hughes. Our first production ever was at, as new Black Arts West Theater, was at Langston Hughes. It was called, Who Am I? Who Am I? Okay? Anyway, to, and it was a black production. Mm-hmm. Who we were is what it was all about. Um, so we did that production there, and then we kind of just did some storytelling here and there at different schools or what have you. We didn't have a house. Well, we found out that they were leaving. Doug called me and said, Khabibi, uh, they're leaving um, Washington Hall. The they Khabibi is talking about is on the boards, a performing arts theater that had been operating out of Washington Hall, another important central district space, up until 1998. When on the boards moved out, New Black Arts West moved in and had a home there from 1998 to 2001. Khabibi expressed a lot of pride in the work she did during those years, even drawing some big names to the theater. Like the time playwright August Wilson helped honor the Seattle chapter of the Black Panther Party when a show about Huey Newton was at Washington Hall. So I called the Panthers. I said, y'all come. August Wilson's going to be there. And I want you to, you guys to represent our chapter of the Black Panthers. So come on, y'all. And they did. They did. They came in and they met August Wilson. Khabibi still runs New Black Arts West, though no longer out of Washington Hall. It no longer has a permanent home in any physical space. And it struggled through COVID like many arts organizations. But it still lives. Khabibi told me about a couple future projects. One is a joint exhibit about both Black Arts West and New Black Arts West at NAM, And the other is to perform at this summer's Emoja Fest, a celebration of Black community and culture at Judkins Park. Actors like T, who continue to work after getting their start from Black Arts West, live on as well. I'll end with his thoughts on how to start a Black theater like Black Arts West today. The, the first key to to get any successful black theater started and, and, and keeping it moving and keeping it progressing is space. You have to have some space. If you got your space, then you can say what goes on and what you do in that space. As long as you're taking care of that space, then you can take that space and you can create whatever you want to create in that space. And then open the doors and let folks come in. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, you don't. But you continue to create, continue to create. But all the time, you got the space. You close one show, tell on a set, build another set. You, you, you got the space. I, I think that if theater lovers like myself come together and be able to have a dialogue and start to create and start to build on Getting a theater, that's the problem. You have small groups that's doing things, that's doing here and here, then here, but you can't get them all to come here. So, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so, yeah, it, it, it'll be a little difficult. It can be done. It can be done. Every episode, I return to discussing legacy in terms of flowers, seeds, and soil. That's because, to me, legacy is an investment in the future that must be continually tended. And, most importantly, legacy is something that keeps growing long after the original seeds take root. Douglas Barnett and Black Arts West are both long gone. But they live on, and Al Doggett's art, Edna DeGray's dancing, Khabibi Monet's theater, and the handful of people like T still making their way by acting professionally. 
and in every artist they inspire with their work. Jeff Tucker, Judge Johnson, James and Janie Washington, all of whom we learned about in previous episodes, they also each planted seeds that are still growing. The legacies of the art spaces featured here may have a clear beginning, but their ending won't be anytime soon. While the legacy carries on, I have to wrap up this episode of the Black Arts Legacies podcast. This episode was reported and produced by Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers, that me, with additional reporting by Jasmine Mahmood and Kemi Adeyemi. The story editors are Sarah Bernard and Mark Bumgarten, who's also the executive producer. Audio support from Jonah Cohen. You can subscribe to Black Arts Legacies wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please review us. It really helps draw new listeners to the show. For more on Black Arts Legacies and other CrossCut podcasts, go to crosscut.com slash podcasts. For more information on this project, including video profiles on Doug Barnett, Al Doggett and Dave Lewis, and a written profile on Edna DeGray, go to blackartslegacies.com. I mentioned Dave Lewis because you heard two of his songs during this episode. The first, J.A.J., was written by Dave Lewis, performed by The Dynamics, and produced by Tom O'Glivy in 1962. The second, Candido, was performed and written by Dave Lewis and produced by Dave Lewis, Joe Bowles, and Tom O'Glivy in 1961. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit CrossCut.com. And if you'd like to support the work we do at CrossCut, go to CrossCut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to on-demand programming from KCTS9, Seattle's PBS station. Bye, y'all!